Hello, and welcome to Valsource Viewpoints. I'm Jim Vesper, Director of Learning Solutions at Valsource. At Valsource, we serve the pharma and biopharma industries commissioning, qualification, validation, and consulting experts. This is another podcast in our series concerning the revision to Annex 1, which is the European Medicine Agency's requirements on producing sterile medicinal products. These requirements will also be adopted by PICS and the World Health Organization. In this podcast, we're talking with four Valsource consultants who are working with our clients in anticipation of most of Annex 1's requirements that are becoming effective a year from now in August of 2023. What's so special about this podcast is that the Annex 1 document was released on August 25th, 2022, and our colleagues have had a chance to read through and digest what's in the final version. And that's what we're going to talk about today. With us today are Kelly Waldron, Ryan Murray, Amanda McFarlane, and Hal Baseman. Welcome, everybody. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi. Uh, before we get into the details of this final version of uh, Annex 1 and what in, it includes, could you give us a little bit of information about your particular interest in Annex 1? Amanda, start with you. Yep. So I'm really interested in, in understanding how organizations are going to attack the contamination control strategy, what their plan is for identifying the risk assessments involved and what the ownership of the document will look like and, and just their implementation and, and the living nature of those contamination control strategies. Great. Yeah. Contamination control strategy. That's one of those things that runs through the uh, new version of Annex 1. Thanks. Ryan, what about you? Yeah, thanks, Jim. Um, I spend a lot of my time in the ATMP space, so cell and gene therapy area mainly. And uh, my particular interest in Annex 1 is really diving through and seeing which of these areas are going to be uh, applicable to the ATMP space. Okay, great. Thanks, Ryan. Kelly? Oh, well, it should come as no surprise that I am very interested in the application of risk management, risk assessments, risk-based decision-making, and just risk-based thinking. That is sort of that thread that you see throughout Annex 1. I'm also really interested to uh, and excited to see in Annex 1 the emphasis on designing facilities and processes to really be fit for purpose, to have considered in a proactive way um, their role in a contamination control strategy, and then to design and implement those things to, you know, manage contamination. Nice. Nice. Well, we've done already another uh, podcast on Annex 1 and risk management. So that's uh, something that uh, is really focused on uh, that topic. So glad you're with us, Kelly. Hal, what about you? Well, um, I, I've had the opportunity, and I guess the privilege to lead uh, the PDA, the Parental Drug Association's efforts uh, to review uh, this revision to Annex 1. And, and that's really been a, uh, a process that started way back in 2015. So it's been like a seven-year, um, you know, I, I guess, um, uh, stream of, of, of effort here. And, and what's really exciting about this document is that we saw in 2015 uh, that there was a concept paper put out by EMA and PICS that the revision to this annex would be quite a bit different than what they've done in the past. Uh, this is very much a global document. 
Uh, it was prepared by not only members of the European uh, uh, Medicines Agency, but also PICS and WHO input. So it's a global document. Uh, it goes into quite a bit more detail than, uh, than the existing Annex 1. And as um, my colleagues have already pointed out, there's a strong emphasis here on quality risk management. And, and what I see in this document is really exciting is that not only does it just mention QRM and the fact that QRM is a QRM principles are important in designing facilities and, and implementing processes and making decisions, but it really gives you a roadmap to do that. Uh, you know, as, as Amanda mentioned, uh, we have the uh, contamination control strategy, which deals with the totality of, of controls uh, for mitigating risk, not just mm -hmm. the assessment of individual controls. And that's, that's really, you know, the, the way it should be done. So I, I look at this document and I see a codification or, and, and really a more mature um, uh, approach to risk and science-based decision-making. Mm -hmm. and, and I think this signals uh, a really an advancement in how we uh, not only plan a uh, sterile product manufacturing, uh, but how it's regulated. So I was quite excited to see this, uh, this document evolve over the last few years. Yeah, thank you, Hal. Yeah, it certainly has evolved. You know, it went from 17 pages to something like 58 or 59 pages in this, this final version. Well, there's been a lot of anticipation for the release of uh, this uh, Annex 1, and it arrived in late August uh, 2022, right during vacation season. But uh, what do you think uh, you've heard? Is it champagne bottles that are opening or gasping or moaning? Who wants to go first? Hey, I'll go. Uh, it's Amanda. Some groaning. I think we, we all sort of, even though we had plenty of time, kind of thought, well, maybe just a little more time. And, and then to come out at the end of August um, was, was kind of a shock to me, given what you mentioned, Jim, about it being vacation season. But I do think a lot of people um, were paying attention. You couldn't open uh, LinkedIn that day without seeing a, a deluge of posts about it's here. It's finally arrived. <laughs> what are we going to do? Are you ready? I mean, everybody wants to know, are we ready? You know, what are we going to do to get ready? So just a bit of shock, I feel. And now the settling of that with the reality of, of how we're going to align. Uh-huh. I'm gonna Why? go with I'm gonna go with bottles popping. Right. I mean, Hal mentioned <laughs> Hal mentioned the review cycle here. Seven years. I mean, it's 2022. If I don't, I can get stuff on my door the next day. If I have to wait seven years for something, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be groaning. So I, I'm gonna go with bottles popping that it's finally been released. Okay, good, Kelly. Yeah, Ryan. For me, I think it's my my sound is is puppy fingernails scrambling on a hardwood floor, just trying to get traction, but um, running and running and running. And that, that to me, I think quite, quite a few of us in industry, because it was such a protracted kind of um, draft, had taken a let's wait and see approach, you know, really feeling that um, monitoring the evolution of this document 
given how long it was taken, wasn't really going to prove a great use of time. So Mm -hmm. some folks hadn't kept up on the evolution. And once it was released, we're scrambling to try and understand what it said. And, you know, the the degree of change involved in it um, between the the prior revision and this one. Hmm. Okay, good. Hell. Well, yeah, I could definitely see where alcohol is is going to be involved in this release. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I would say that um, you know, you know, maybe corks popping is is a little closer. I mean, we knew that uh, the document would be released eventually, uh, and I do believe there are uh, some significant improvements in this document, and if it's interpreted properly uh, by both industry and regulators, I think it opens some doors. Uh, to being able to, uh, you know, uh, advance the control of uh, sterile product manufacture uh, in alignment with new technologies and new therapies. Again, if done properly. Uh, so, so there's a roadmap here with this document, and, and I think that's quite exciting. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess not to make it into a cliche, but now the real work starts. All right, we reviewed the document. Uh, we know what it says. Uh, there's, it's not a perfect document by any means, uh, but I, again, if we um, if we look at it carefully, uh, there are some some opportunities here for improvement of how we uh, we manufacture sterile products and how those products are regulated and our relationship uh, with the regulators. So again, I think it's exciting, and I think uh, we, we could celebrate even this imperfect document. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been involved with this probably the longest of the uh, uh, four of you all. And uh, Hal, were there any last minute changes that surprised you in the final version? Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say a, it was a surprise because we've been looking at this document for so mm-hmm. long. Uh, you know, as Ryan mentioned, uh, you know, the actual document review started in 2017, uh, but our anticipation of what was going to be in it, you know, started even a couple of years before that. Um, but I will tell you this, there, there were some, some things that were seen at the very end uh, that we, um, uh, we uh, you know, sort of noted and went back to the authors on, and uh, it was our feeling that maybe these were things we saw, uh, you know, where it was beyond the date where we could really make a change. And, um, you know, really to, you know, you know, to, to a favorable response was that we did see those changes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one in particular, right? And it's not important what the change was. What's important here is that the authors of the document, the regulators that put this together, uh, really seem to listen to the industry. Uh, a colleague of mine uh, on the PDA committee commented to me that he had been involved in the 2007-2008 version of Annex 1, and that there were a lot of comments but it didn't seem as though there were a lot of changes that came from those comments. Yeah. And when we move into this, uh, you know, this effort, the 2017 through 2020 effort of review, we do see uh, where uh, industry comments were picked up. 
and where the uh, you know where there was an impact uh, from from industries uh, in mm-hmm. you know input I should I should say, and th- that's good. That's a good sign. Well, that mm-hmm. shows that the regulators are listening. It also probably shows that the the level of comment was 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 pretty good as well. So mm-hmm. my surprise here, if I want to call it that, is that uh, we were really listened to. Uh, again, not a document that that we, maybe a document that could be improved, but you know, I don't know if it's worth waiting the next few years to do that. Uh, so. Um, so we do think that that this is a good sign, and I think it bodes well for the relationship between industry and uh, regulators moving forward as we implement and um, and move you know forward with this mm-hmm. uh, with what this document says. Great. Anybody else? Yeah, I can say I'm not sure I would characterize it as a surprise so much as a splash of cold water in my face. But seeing that implementation date of August 2023 um, really got the adrenaline pumping for uh-huh. me. Interesting. Good. Thanks, Kelly. You know, we've done other podcasts where we go into more detail, like on topics like quality risk management or training or contamination control strategies. So this is really more of a general question. Now that we've seen the final version, what do you think will be the biggest challenges for industry? Maybe Kelly, you start. Sure. I mean, just like I said, that implementation timeline and just the bolus of work I imagine individual firms will need to complete um, to comply in in a timeline like that. A a year will be a blink of an eye. You know, pulling together all the risk assessments, compiling that contamination control strategy. I also think a big challenge for industry is really going to be cultural. The emphasis here on QRM is going to you know, sort of force us all to take a hard look at what we've been doing all this time and some of the potential vulnerabilities in, in what we're doing, you know, some of some design flaws, some imperfections um, in our processes and our facilities and in our control strategies. And, you know, that the risk assessments will force us to acknowledge those and understand mm-hmm. other aspects of the CCS and whether those are adequate to protect the patient or whether we really need to augment and up our game and level up um, mm-hmm. in order to really assure that protection. You know, just to, to build on what Kelly said about those risk assessments, you know, there'll be many risk assessments or a handful of risk assessments required for the CCS. And, and some organizations may have a really strong foundation of those and each of those are potentially siloed. And with those siloed risk assessments coming together under one umbrella to to really demonstrate a state of control will challenge how consistently the risk management uh, program has been applied, whether or not the the risk ranking criteria align when when these risk assessments come together to demonstrate that, that state of control, I think will will highlight the level of maturity of the organization and maybe force you know, a further consideration around, have we considered our risk appetite? Do we understand risk tolerance in all facets of the organization and, and not just from one department or a set of departments, mm. that that collectiveness and the holistic piece of it 
while a huge benefit to the organization overall could come as a, a big shock to, to different uh, companies just when they really take a look at it as one unit. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts from you, Hal, on that? You know, what uh, uh, are some of the biggest challenges for industry right now? Well, I, I got to tell you, I, I agree with, uh, with my two friends on this. Uh, first of all, uh, the, the practical uh, challenge will be implementation. Kelly's absolutely right. Uh, this is a bit of an extended implementation in that I, I believe uh, in the past we've looked at uh, typically at about six months. This is a one-year implementation with one exception, uh, one section 8.123 uh, allows for two-year implementation. But in today's modern quality system environment, uh, one year will go by, as you say, in the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. uh, so companies really, really have to focus on getting it right the first time. They have to be able to, um, to really interpret what is in this, this document. As, as you point out, Jim, this expanded uh, document, it's, it's much larger than, than the current version of Addicts One. So they're gonna have to do their gap analysis. They're gonna have to really be um, uh, you know, very confident that they're interpreting uh, what is in Addicts One correctly. Uh, and that may involve, uh, or it may require that they get some outside uh, assistance with that. Uh, you know, certainly some training, certainly some, uh, you know, some discussion because they're not going to be able to afford, uh, you know, not to get it right the first time. So I would say implementation and proper interpretation. But the other thing that's that's here that I think is going to be a key challenge is taking advantage of the opportunities that this uh, risk-based or uh, or this QRM principle-based uh, annex. Uh, affords the industry. Uh, as I read this document, I see where the, um, the authors are true to what they said in their concept paper, which is they wanted to create a, um, you know, a regulation, if you will, or guidance, if you will, that allows for, uh, for the industry to be able to address new technologies and new therapies, things like that that are going to come up. But in order to do that, the industry has to really use these risk-based approaches uh, to design uh, and uh, in some cases present and defend uh, alternative approaches. There's an opening to do that. If instead the industry just goes back to, well, what do you want us to do type of um, mm -hmm. you know, compliance, uh, of course, that puts a huge burden on on the regulators, and that's not that's not what this document is supposed to be designed to mm -hmm. do. Uh, so I think that will be a challenge. Uh, I think Kelly said it correctly in the um, to develop the culture uh, mm -hmm. to be able to to um, present alternative approaches and improved approaches. Mm -hmm. And I'm optimistic the industry and the regulators. We'll be able to do that and we'll see how it goes. So it really helps support innovation potentially. It better because, mm -hmm. you know, as Ryan said, seven years is way, way too long, <laughs> you know, and, and if, if, you know, in, and in a technology driven industry such as ours, if we have to wait seven years 
uh, to address the impact of technologies and yeah. therapies. Uh, you could see where innovation and improvement are going to just fall way behind. Yeah. So it, it better. Yeah. Ryan, what about you? What uh, do you see as challenges for industry? Yeah, I completely agree with with Kelly, Hal, and Amanda on this. I mean, I think implementation in and of itself is going to be a, a challenge, and and the the QRM maturity that's going to be required to to execute this well um, will also be a challenge. But through through the lens of, of ATMPs, um, you know, I I think one thing that's going to be a particular challenge, especially when you look at the trend over the last, you know, 15 years or so, the, the reliance on on CMOS uh, in our industry these days is you know, vastly more than what it was prior, um, mm -hmm. you know, and in that regard, just the mentality of a lot of CMOs is, is to really play this type of information and keep it really close to the chest when it comes to, when it comes to information about um, a site's sterility assurance plans and how they, how they go and manage that. So I, I think with, with Annex 1 putting so much emphasis on, on, you know, risk-based management of your contamination control strategy, I think clients of CMOs are going to be more demanding of this type of information. And, and I see that as, as, as a struggle um, mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, for how CMOs manage that, how, how they share that information. Um, and, you know, I think it obviously could be um, a selection criteria for C CMOs as we move forward. Mm. Good. Well, you've all been in meetings with uh, regulatory folks and uh, industry people who are talking about Annex 1, but what about the regulators? What are the challenges for regulators who are going to be evaluating a firm's compliance with the uh, revised regulation? Ryan, maybe start with you this time. Sure. Yeah. Again, th through, through the lens of ATMPs, I, I think you know a major challenge will be a difference in opinion as to whether or not Annex One applies to ATMPs, so in in the in the language of of Part Four of the EU GMPs for ATMPs, there's this language that that clearly spells out that Part Four is a standalone document for ATMPs, and all other parts and chapters don't apply unless they're specifically referenced in, referenced in Part Four. So, I think you compare that with with the PICS Annex 2A for ATMPs. And one of the main differences between these two approaches is that in the PICS Annex 2A, ATMPs, um, the, the guidance for ATMP is not solely governed by that. It specifically states the opposite, that the annex should be used in conjunction with other parts of the guide. So I think with the introduction of the revised Annex 1 and that it's going to be adopted by, by PICS and, and WHO, uh, I think this will lead to some confusion between agencies and industries. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if you're of the opinion that Annex 1 doesn't apply to ATMPs, I think a second challenge will be explaining how robust CCS and other elements <laughs> of the Annex shouldn't apply to your products that are uh -huh. inherently more risky by being more manual. Um, but yeah, I, th I see those as, as a challenge. Great. And you know, Ryan, I, I was thinking the same thing for biologics drug substance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, typically... Yeah, you know, we all think, oh, you know, biologics drug substance, we refer to Annex 2. It's low bioburden, not sterile. Um, some things are done in the septic manner, but again, that that bar is is not the same as for Annex 1. And um, I think a challenge for regulators and a challenge for the relationship between firms and their regulators is going to be coming to a common understanding about what portions of Annex 1 apply to drug substance. 
Now there's several mentions in Annex 2 that the principles in Annex 1 can be applied. And similarly, Annex 1 now says that these principles can be applied to drug substance. Um, but the expectations around what what portions of Annex 1 and to what extent would Annex 1 apply is really still a nebulous area I think regulators and industry are going to need to work out. Hell, what are your thoughts on this one? I, I think regulators have to look at this as a principles document rather than a prescriptive, um, uh, you know, uh, instructions on how to produce sterile products. And what I mean by that is uh, that there are, there are well-founded um, scientific principles, risk-based thinking and so forth uh, for how to produce sterile products here. But those you know, do, you know, may change over time as, as, as we already discussed with different therapies and, and different technologies. Uh, but the principles here are principles that are going to apply to um, even those types of products that, that aren't technically covered by this annex. You know, so you mentioned AT&P selling gene therapy products, but if you are making a sterile version of those products, or even a low bioburden version, uh, contamination control is the same regardless, exactly. mm -hmm. uh, you know, of, mm -hmm. of what the jurisdiction is here. Uh, so I, I think regulators looking at this as a, as a document of principles rather than just uh, a legal document would be helpful. That's number one. Number two, I think the, um, as I think was mentioned earlier, having a consistent approach to the interpretation of what's in this document. When you expand the document from whatever it was, 12 pages to over 50 pages, and you include an international group uh, writing it, you know, group from, from PICS as well as uh, the Europeans and with input from WHO and so forth, you're bound to have um, some, some need for clarification. And this is really important. And the burden is on regulators. It's hard enough for the industry uh, to be able to uh, meet, you know, requirements, stated requirements and expectations. Uh, it's going to be just so much more difficult if it's, if they're uncertain Mm -hmm. about what the meaning of this, uh, these sections are. And, and what I mean is, if it depends on which inspector walks in the door uh, for the inspection, if one inspector interprets a section one way and another inspector interprets it another way. Uh, some of the comments that at least the, the PDA had, and I think others in the industry were, you know, when we had words such as should, or for example, uh, you know, e.g. versus i.e. and things like that, mm -hmm. uh, where we weren't sure what the intention of the authors were, whether this was a, a strict requirement, prescriptive requirement, or it was open to, uh, to suggestion, all right? So that will be important for uh, regulators uh, to have a consistent approach here uh, to interpretation. Uh, and ultimately, uh, another big challenge is that, you know, we, we do live in an environment where drug supply, uh, you know, can be an issue, drug availability and so mm -hmm. forth. And, and, and my guess is that, that it's the last thing that regulators want to do is hamper that or limit drug supply uh, so that uh, they'll have to take a look at, at enforcement here um, with an eye towards 
again, you know, contaminate overall contamination control strategy, whether companies are able to to maintain uncompromised quality, uh, even if they do offer up uh, alternative approaches or perhaps cannot meet uh, this one-year implementation. Now, what will regulators do if companies, uh, you know, find that that it is difficult to meet this one year? Uh, will they just, you know, issue letters of non-compliance, or they will allow for companies to, you know, present their risk-based justification, uh, you know, to show that they're still maintaining uh, correct um, control, uh, contamination control. So it won't be it won't be easy for regulators, and they'll they'll need to meet that challenge. Mm-hmm. Amanda, what are your thoughts on this in terms of uh, challenges for regulators? Yeah, just to, to build on Hal's comment related to differences depending upon the inspector present, you know, e- each individual inspector is going to have their own relative understanding of risk management. So when they're looking at individual risk assessments, or better yet, the collection of risk assessments as part of the CCS, how long will it take before they see that golden ticket, the one that is exactly what they want to see in the future? And in, in mm-hmm. will organizations be building upon a perceived idea of what the CCS looks like? Is that going to be good enough? Do they know how much effort it will be to really dig into those individual risk assessments? And, and how will they um, attack that? I think that getting a, a general understanding of that will be really important for the industry, but also it, it sounds like a lot of work on the part of the <laughs> regulators. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is sort of the, the lightning round now in terms of if you were to uh, sketch out a project plan for a firm, what would it include so that the firm will be inspection ready uh, by August of 2023? So. Uh, throwing this open to the table. Hey, you know, I would say if you haven't completed your gap assessment already, take a look at the resources out there. There's plenty of articles written by Valsource professionals in that area. Mm -hmm. And um, don't be afraid to start at the foundation. If you're gonna build this program and have a CCS in place, you can't do that in the absence of a strong QRM program. So, so take a look at the training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just add, I think that's, that's good. The gap analysis would be step one. Um, I would also uh, advise companies that if they find that they w- are not gonna be able to make this one year implementation date, uh, that they have a plan in place uh, that is aligned with their contamination control strategy that shows what steps they need to take in order to maintain uh, you know, or mitigate risks to patient safety while they are you know, waiting to uh, or taking the time to I- implement this. Uh, I don't think companies want to just face regulators and say, well, we couldn't uh, you know, implement this particular uh, process because uh, the equipment is on back order. I think they have to be able to stay we are confident that we could uh, still maintain an uncompromised level of quality uh, while we wait for this to happen, 
based on these other controls that we have in place. And I think uh, being proactive that way and having a dialogue with their with the regulators is going to be really important here. Yeah, I'll expand on that, Hal. I think you really need to look at the totality of your controls. You need to, to be in a position to understand if, if you don't have um, full compliance one year from now in, in August 2023 to Annex 1, you need to know what indicates whether or not you are in a state of control. And you need to be able to demonstrate that um, to regulators. It is not going to be enough to say we pass sterility testing. We have to be able to demonstrate how the totality of contamination control elements are working together to assure that for the patient. Well said. And I think I'll, I'll go back to the beginning. So I mean, Amanda and Hal both mentioned that, you know, step one would be your gap assessment. I'll call it step 1A. And then step step 1B would be to outline or, or draft your CCS early in the process. And then once you've done that, revisit your gap assessment, because I think you'll find that things that you may have checked off the box as not being a gap are, are really some areas that you need to further explore and, and develop to really create a robust CCS. And it, I, the reason I say that is because, uh, you know, we mentioned this one year implementation timeline. Time is really of the essence. You don't really have a lot of time to get this wrong initially. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, starting early and, and making sure that your, your gaps are, are well addressed um, early it should be a priority. You know, I, I, I can't help but, but make another comment to this, and that is it's really important at this point that you don't check the box uh, or take a check the box approach to compliance with Annex 1 uh, that, as, as, as everyone has said, do it right the first time, but make sure it's a meaningful uh, exercise that you're doing, especially in the risk assessments, especially on your development of CCS. This is this could only help you and, and reap benefits, uh, you know, both in, in the, you know, in the control of your of contamination in, uh, in regards to your process and in your relationship with the regulators. So even though it's a year and a year is a short amount of time, take the time to do it right. Mm -hmm. Well, as we're wrapping up the uh, podcast here, as NX1 has been released, uh, any any fi final thoughts that uh, you'd want to uh, leave us with? Yeah, I think the, the biggest risk that we run here is that we get overwhelmed and um, we don't take a measured approach, right? We don't want to do a gap assessment to Annex 1, look at the results of those, and then create um, an unmanageable amount of documentation that you know, you know, sort of leaves us being um, unable to manage that it, it through throughout the life cycle, right? We really need mm -hmm. to take a measured approach um, and, and focus on establishing those fundamental systems where we can define how the principles within NX1 should be applied to our products and our processes. There's a lot been written on this, you know, the, the perceived amount of change is very significant, but what we don't want to do is, is go and just um, swing the pendulum too far in the other direction and generate too much information. So mm -hmm. don't go it alone. You know, there's lots of us out there that have been watching this and um, have really great plans that can right size this for folks. Good. Anybody else? 
um, I would just end by uh, repeating that this, I see this document as an opportunity. Any new regulation or guidance that comes out from regulators is, is there's plenty of, of, of room for us to criticize, for us to say that this is another layer of control uh, and another burden. But if we could mm -hmm. just chip away at that a bit, uh, I think you'll see that there are opportunities here. Uh, the Very much there are things within this this document uh, that are really aligned with what we've been asking for over the years. But it's up to us, it's up to the industry to take advantage of that. And if we ignore that or we just go, you know, you know, just do what we've always done, then, then we won't reap that benefit. So look at this as an opportunity. Again, it's not a perfect document, but I do believe it's an improved document. Uh, and I do think, you know, as has been said before, um, Take the time to do it right. Um, seek out the, the help that you might need. Listen to our other podcasts. There's a lot of good information mm -hmm. there. Uh, and, and we're there to help you out. Thanks. Great. Great. Thanks, yeah, it, Jim, I would just add that, you know, while it can feel overwhelming that, that there is a lot of work to be done, that we, we shouldn't forget that the reason that we have these documents in place aren't, aren't just so that we all are aligned and, and that we all are working toward continuous improvement. This is about patient safety. This is about product quality and ensuring the consistency of both of those things. So yeah. when, when the overwhelming regulatory burden gets you down, like this is the delivery that we have as an industry to, to create uh -huh. safe and effective medicine. I think what we've been talking about is that it's a challenge, it's an opportunity uh, that is presented here by uh, the revised Annex One. Uh, but as you're saying, Amanda, it's it's a purpose, you know, really for what we're doing in the pharma industry, you know, making sure that patients have safe, pure, and effective drugs. And I think Annex One is going to help help us, you know, realize that even more than we have so far. So, Amanda, how? Mm -hmm. Ryan Kelly, thanks for being part of this and uh, sharing your viewpoints on the new and improved and approved version of Annex One. <laughs> At uh, Velsaurus, we have a number of experts. So uh, you've heard some of them today who are focused on sterility assurance and quality risk management. They may be valuable resources for your organization. So if you're wanting more information about Annex One or some specific tools like an Annex One roadmap, or an online gap assessment, or articles about uh, Annex One, visit the valsource.com website and look for the Annex One link. If you have any comments or questions, please visit our website as well, or send an email to info at valsource.com. Thanks for listening.